Hello and welcome to another episode of the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. This is the part where I usually say, as always, this is your host, Paris Grant, coming to you with everything financial. And while that is true, for this very special, very momentous occasion, I am not alone. Yes, you heard that right. And the title was not just to get you to click. I am joined today by my very first guest. This is my first time having anybody on the podcast. My first time. It's an interview. But... I can't explain how happy it makes me to be able to have brought this podcast to a point where others are using it as a platform to share their knowledge. Today, I'm joined by David Wilson. He is a CFP, CFA, and CEMA. I'll explain all of that in the actual interview. And, you know, he reached out to me. He has his own blog, Planning to Wealth. Of course, I've included that inside the bio. Um, But he reached out to me and he wanted to speak to millennials about, you know, financial planning. And as somebody who wants to become a financial advisor, it was just amazing to be able to get his insight. And I think that the things that he has to share are going to add immense value to you. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you're probably tired of my own voice by the, by now. So I am very excited to share with you this interview. That being said, I did include the new segment this week because, you know, when a lot of stuff happens, I want to make sure you guys are up to date so you guys aren't late. So if you ever do use my podcast as conversation topics, you know, it's not out of loop. So there is a new segment. So if the interview wasn't enough, the new segment for sure will be. Um, But yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. The fundraiser is still going on. Of course, all the terms, everything like that is inside the bio. But all you have to do is listen to the ads if you want to donate. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and play one ad right now, and we're going to get right into the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Let's get ready to keep it 1 million. Hello and welcome. This is the M2M News segment with your favorite news anchor, Paris Grant, the same guy who hosts the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. Obviously, there's no correlation, though. So... I'd say up until recently, my outlook on 2020 has been pretty positive. There's no real reason to think anything negative of 2020, in my opinion. The economy is doing well. There's not really anything really major happening. Um, And I think that everything we did in 2019 is going to really be carrying over and really flourishing in 2020. So I think 2019 was really great for laying the foundation and groundwork for 2020 to be an even better year. That being said, we've been in an amazing bull run this whole entire time. Ever since I've been an investor, the stock market's been doing well. Um, you know, unemployment's low. There's just a lot of really good things happening right now. But I think that in times of exuberance, it's important to get back to fundamentals and kind of realize that we're living in a very like fruitful, profitable time. And that, you know, for it to be fruitful and profitable now means that there's like, you know, an opposite of it. So it's not to say like, oh, if you ever feel really happy, make yourself sad. But it's just, you know, take some time and take a little bit of a breather, which is what I kind of tried to do with the stories that I got. It's only three stories, and but they all share a common theme and you'll kind of see how they interconnect throughout. But number one, and this is the first one I want to get out the way. It's this profit mystery among companies. And this is from the Wall Street Journal, right? They said that pre-tax profits declined 13% over the past five years. That is the largest non-recession dip since World War II. But yet, S&P 500 companies' earnings have jumped in a record-breaking 31% in the same period of time. So this can either point to one of two things. 
it could point to cost cutting measures being more effective and them use and them lowering their tax burden by, you know, that could be by building or manufacturing overseas. That could just be, you know, lowering your tax bill in other ways. I don't own a company, so I would be wrong if I said that I knew how. But the other alternative is that different companies are using their own kind of specialized mathematics to put up their earnings, which could mean that this exuberance that we've been feeling this whole time is misplaced. I'm not trying to be the harbinger of bad news. Don't shoot the messenger. This is just a story. And of course, I will link all the links to all the articles inside the bio. So make sure you click on those. Story number two, holiday shopping is slipping. So retail sales growth slowed by about 0.2 percent which doesn't seem like that big a deal and that was back in november and it doesn't seem like that big a deal but you have to remember that november and december are prime prime consumer spending months this is when you know i just got back talking about all the different holidays that happen all the different reasons that we have to spend so to see that there's been a slow in the growth uh you know something cause for concern Clothing stores and restaurants posted declines, but online sales actually rose. So this could just point to the fact that, you know, we're shopping online more, but in general, we spent less, we're spending less money for whatever reason. And it could be for the same thing that maybe just buying clothes online or buying anything online is just cheaper than buying it in the store. But, you know, we're in a point of historically low employment and this is really pointing to businesses and brick and mortar places that they need to do better and that they need to, you know, be catering more to investors. And then speaking of catering to investors, a study from Edelman kind of listed all the different investor risks in in the next five years. So the top three were cyber attacks, right? Cybersecurity is a very big deal, especially as your assets grow. I think it becomes increasingly important to make sure that you're protecting them correctly. Political instability. You know, we got the U.S.-China trade deals. We got, you know, this impeachment thing happening. We got the 2020 elections. We got a lot of things happening right now. And then climate change. A lot of people don't realize how expensive climate change can really be. But when there's less land and less resources or there's more people who are kind of put out of work and not propping up the economy due to climate change. And that could be that could take the form of all kinds of things. It means that we have less output, but we need more input. So, you know, I think it's not I think as an investor, you should care about the state of the world just because if you invest especially if you invest broadly you're kind of depending on the rest of the world to do well so climate change is a big deal no matter what but the main thing that the study found was that investors are actually changing their kind of temperaments and their rationale when it comes to investing so historically you invested in the stock market because it was that thing that you did to get rich it was what your stepdad your uncle brothers fraternity brothers anybody that's just what they did to get rich you get a job you get a 401k invest inside the stock market and the whole plan was so that you can boost your earnings so that you can make more money so the funny thing about this study actually showed that 84 percent of investors said that maximizing shareholder returns should not be the primary goal of a company this runs exactly counter to what i just said because It means that when people are investing now, they're not really investing for the sake of getting rich. They're investing because they want to be supporting. They want to be supporting a company, industry or, you know, firm, whatever. 71% said that a company becomes vulnerable when they're not, when they maximize key stakeholders over the shareholders, which just means that instead of focusing on who the big wigs are in the company, we should be focusing more on the actual shareholders, the ones who are investing their money. 
84% of investors in this study said that they would accept lower returns if a company addressed sustainability and economic empowerment. So I think I talked about this when I talked about my social responsibility episode, but investors are kind of changing their temperament in the sense that they want to make the world a better place, which I think is amazing. Obviously, I think that Gen Z and millennials are the ones really taking the charge on this, but I think it's an intergenerational thing that more people care about where their money is going. Something that I say a lot is that the way you spend your money reflects the kind of world you want to live in. And this is a perfect example of it. This is kind of really people are saying like, I want my dollars to be doing something good. That's all I got for news. Obviously, I'll be including all the links inside the bio, so make sure you check that out. But 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 I think that's the perfect segue into what is about to be my first ever interview on the show. This is my first time bringing anybody on. This is the first time that a voice that's not my own will be on the podcast. And his name is David Flores Wilson. I keep on introducing him because I want to make sure that everyone knows who he is by the end of this episode. All around great guy, tons of value, tons of knowledge. So I'm going to go ahead and play one more ad. And when we get back to the show, it'll be my first ever interview. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. And welcome back. This is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast, and I am super excited to have with you my first guest. This is David Flores Wilson. He helps professionals and business owners in the New York City area achieve financial freedom. He was named Investopedia's top 100 financial advisors of 2019. He is a senior wealth manager for Watts Capital and writer-editor for Planning to Wealth. His financial guidance has appeared on Yahoo Finance, MSN News, CNNBC, and Investment News. A graduate of University of California, he holds a CFA, CFP, and CEPA designations. And if you guys don't know what that is, that's a Chartered Financial Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and Certified Exit Planning Advisor. David resides in New York City and represented Guam in the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games. Super excited to have you on the show, David. Uh, We talked a little bit before, but I'm trying to follow the career path of a financial advisor. So to me... You are basically what I want to look like in the future. So I'm excited to have you on the show. How are you feeling today? I feel great. Uh, Paris, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you and, uh, and get into the conversation. For sure, for sure. So among the many titles that you hold, you told me that you are a financial advocate. What do you mean by that? So, you know, I work with about, you know, 80-some families, and I've been doing that. I've uh, been in financial services for about 20 years, and I think that, you know, money's so personal, right? It's, uh, you know, our, our society actually, you know, it's, it's taboo to talk about money and, and it's, it's actually, it's a little bit sad. And so, um, you know, financial literacy isn't really taught much uh, in a systematic way in our, in our school system. And so I, I've gotten the chance and, and essentially the privilege to, to work with these families. And so I, I've been able to get some of these strategies and techniques and, and learn a few things you know, through working with families and, and working uh, and through these different certifications. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a way of, of giving back and, and that I want to sort of advocate for financial literacy, you know, so other people can have this information and, and they can make progress on, uh, on their financial lives. Good stuff, good stuff. And one way that you do that is through your blog, Planning to Wealth. Why don't you tell us about that and what makes it a unique platform for providing this kind of financial advice? Yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot of information out there. I think I started the 
the blog really at, at first to sort of just, uh, you know, to codify my thoughts and to get to organize uh, what, what I was thinking about when it came to, you know, particular strategies or tips. And um, I think that, you know, the focus really is on these life events. We're all in these sort of, we all go through these different life events. And, you know, graduating from college, getting married, having kids. And, uh, you know, some of them are very momentous occasions and others are, are quite sad. And, and I think that the common theme is that they're all very stressful. And I think that, you know, people are sort of planning ahead and they're aware of these different strategies uh, that they can, you know, reduce stress, they can save money, they can make progress on their financial goals. And so uh, what I try to do is just outline what I know on the on various topics. And, and, you know, and so I put it out there and hopefully people can find it uh, uh, helpful and, and apply it to their situation. All right. So since we're on the topic of financial advice, what are some key skills and like knowledge that you see lacking in millennials? Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's not millennial specific, right? I think I, I see Gen Xers and uh, baby boomers, you know, we all make financial mistakes, right? And I think that uh, for me, it's, it's an approach to sort of uh, honing a skill over their lifetime. And I think that when it comes to financial planning, in general, there's sort of five things you can do, right? You can, you can save, you can invest, you can protect uh, what you have in terms of your assets or income. Uh, you could do your best to manage uh, debt and, and minimize taxes. And so uh, I stress to people that, you know, depending whether you're a millennial or exennial or an elder millennial or uh, Gen Z, I think that uh, there's always something you could be doing in each area to you know advancing essentially the plot of your financial life and and when you're intentional about addressing sort of those five areas uh, the good things are going to happen and, and I think that uh, you know, nobody's perfect I think if you're you know sort of addressing effectively maybe three or four of those areas it's uh, you're going to be great so uh, I think it's it's not a uh, it's not a millennial issue it's it's sort of it cuts across all generations that uh, could help um, you know, could, everyone could do a better job at sort of making progress on the on these different areas. Do you have any like tips or tricks that you would recommend, I guess, for tackling any of those five? Like any sort of strategies? Yeah, or- I, you know, saving really is one of the hard ones, right? And I think, uh, you know, some people, I hear sometimes, you know, say people say that, you know, I, I can't save any money. I, I, I don't make, uh, I don't make enough. Um, it, you know, and it's interesting, I, I hear people that make 50,000 and I hear people that make 500,000 say the same thing. And so it's, you're saving money, it's a skill, right? And it, it's, it's a mindset and it's a habit that you have to develop over time. It just doesn't happen, uh, you know, waking up one day. And I think that if people can, uh, you know, be diligent and be intentional about what they're spending their money on. And I think, you know, and again, if it's, we all have assets and, and, and some of those assets, you know, that time is one of those assets, right? So how we spend our time is, is uh, uh, you know, how it's, it's important to how we invest and how we save. And so, you know, one of the things is that if you can be good about saving, you know, when you're not making very much money and then continue to sort of live uh, a modest lifestyle when it comes to expenses. And of course, you know, as, as people make more money and get raises and, uh, you know, they should treat themselves. And, um, 
But if you're uh, able to sort of develop these habits when you don't make that much money and then continue them to, uh, to when you are making, you know, hitting the, you know, the prime uh, asset accumulating years of your life, uh, you're, that's when people really can, can uh, achieve a lot of their goals. And so I, I think, you know, one sort of thing I, th I do recommend is people, you know, first before they start to spend money or sort of think about, okay, well, what am I doing with my financial behaviors? I think that, you know, you should have sort of alignment. And I, I sort of see alignment between these three things as the core of it. You know, one, you know, what are your values? So, you know, what's important to you? I recommend people just write down, you know, what are the 20 things that are most important to you? You know, family, religion, hard work, school, uh, status, like whatever they are, uh, I'm not going to judge whatever they are. Um, and then whittle those 20 down to 10 and then down to five. And so as you think about your goals and then what you're actually doing, you know, in terms of saving, investing, you want those things aligned in terms of, okay, well, what are my goals? What are my financial behaviors? And then what are my values? And, you know, it's important to sort of have those in alignment uh, as you go through your life. So David, let's bring it back a little bit. How did you end up in the career that you have now? And what is it that drives you to want to help so many people with their finances? Like, what is it about like, yeah, what is it that like gets you out of bed that makes you want to do what it is that you do? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I got a little lucky, right? So my dad was a, a CPA and he had a home office. And so we, you know, we would talk about, you know, he, he never pushed this sort of financial services or being a financial advisor or CPA on me, but I, I did see that, you know, he had an impact on people's lives. And uh, there were situations where, you know, I, I remember a particular client where, you know, he was the advisor for, a CPA for a small business and he had a great relationship with the owner and, and uh, it was a family business and, um, and the, the patriarch of the family passed away. And so, uh, you know, the kids and, and, and the widow really re relied on him and said, Hey, you know, what should we do with this business? And I think that, you know, he looked at the financials, he gave them advice, and, you know, they did a really good job of transferring the business to the second generation, and, and today that business is thriving. And I, I just saw the impact that you can have when you, you develop this sort of expertise, and then, uh, and then you develop that expertise over time. And so, for me, it's very dynamic. You know, I work with a lot of uh, business owners, you know, solo entrepreneurs, you know, attorneys, marketing people, doctors, and all these people are doing very interesting things. And uh, I, for me, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun because, uh, you know, they're good people and I want to see them succeed and advocate for them. And, and uh, you know, that's, uh, that's really what motivates me. All right. And since we're on the topic, what has been, I guess, within your career, like your greatest accomplishment and your greatest failure? Oh, wow. That's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I think me, my greatest failure, frankly, was uh, I did, you know, I took a job out of college in investment banking, and I did that for about eight or nine years. And you know, I think when you're in school and you kind of look around, a lot of people are doing investment banking, uh, at least, you know, when I went to school, and, and uh, uh, I didn't really evaluate whether that was right for me, right? So I just, you know, I, I took a job. I was working with some very smart people. Uh, you're paid very well in investment banking. And then as time passed on, 
I actually became more interested in financial planning and I was helping my coworkers with their financial plans and people were asking me, you know, should I buy or, or sell real estate and, or what should I do with my 401k? And I, I basically discovered my passion right? and several years into my career. And I think my greatest failure is that I didn't act on it right away. I didn't put together a plan uh, that said, hey, you know what, this is my passion. These are what my values are. This is where we want to get to and let me implement that. I, you know, I essentially waited three years or so before I, uh, I got my butt in gear and, uh, and pursued my passion. And, and, uh, and once I did, I, I never looked back. So I think it's, it's sort of that greatest failure. And then when I finally had that light bulb and I did it, that's, that for me was the step towards success. Right. And, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, success is an ongoing, you know, reevaluation. And, and I think that, uh, uh, I always want to sort of, you know, get better and, and uh, make a, an impact. And so uh, that's, uh, that's how I think about that. Um, something really interesting that you just brought up is that, you know, you're saying you're working with like a lot of smart people and they're in investment banking. So I'm assuming that they have majors in finance, like things like accounting isn't like new to them. Why is it that you think, why is it like, I guess that you think that even people within the industry still don't have like that financial kind of literacy to kind of build up their own financial plans or know, you know, about saving, budgeting, making up their own sort of things? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we all, uh, we only have so many hours in the day. And I think that, uh, you know, those people that entrusted me early on, you know, they definitely had the capability to do it. They just didn't, uh, you know, they wanted, you know, they were working 70, 75 hours a week. And so, you know, if they could save an hour, by having uh, David work on it for free back in the day. Um, uh, that made a lot of sense and I got some experience from it. So I think that, you know, the, it's that, I, I think that's a positive thing for people to build a team around you, right? Whether you're a, you know, a business owner or whether it's in your career is to have people that can give you opinions, you know, that, you know, that can disagree with you and, and can kind of, uh, look at your situation objectively and whether that's a CPA, a lawyer or a friend, they could, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we all have close friends. I think many sometimes um, it's sort of these people that we don't know as well can also offer like pretty good perspectives because uh, uh, you know, they're, they're concerned less probably of hurting our feelings. Right. So. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Uh, so well, do you read, do you read, do you listen to podcasts? How, like, how do you continue to learn at like your space in the game? Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of, um, you know, the, the quantitative, there's a lot of material out there that sort of, you know, uh, information out there to, to get better at, at being a financial advisor, right? Cause it's, it's not just investing and planning, but it's tax, it's estate planning, it's, you know, there's a charitable component to it to learn about college funding and, and uh, as well as businesses and, you know, how do we capitalize, how do we start a business, how do we sell a business. So uh, there's no shortage of things that I want to learn, frankly. So uh, I take, uh, you know, lifeline learning very seriously. And so I try to get a new certification every year as well, uh, do a lot of continuing education for this, you know, the certifications I already have. And then uh, I think it's, you know, I think, um, you know, business is changing so dynamically. So uh, 
I think what's helped me is that, you know, when is to ask questions and, you know, when I don't know something, well, you know, let's go to someone who, who does know it and try to learn it. So. Got it. Got it. And does being a, you know, a financial planner, does it help you feel more secure? Because like, since you do it for so many people, like, does it, has doing it for other people helped you personally? Like by helping other people through their situations, does it make you feel like, okay, wow. Like, okay, I'm doing this for this person. Oh, wow. Like I thought about something I could do for myself now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, does it, you get to learn how to implement the knowledge for yourself or is that like, sure. Yeah. Without a doubt, there are, uh, you know, different techniques and strategies, which, uh, I, I implement as well. Um, I think if, you know, someone who's in my very same situation, you know, I probably have a very similar portfolio that I manage for them than I, that I manage for myself. I think that, you know, being an advisor definitely gives you perspective, right? And it, it, you see some of the pitfalls. I always like to ask sort of my older clients, you know, what, what do you regret? Um, and, you know, I think that informs some of the advice I give to some of the younger clients is that, okay, well, uh, I've been at this a while, but, um, you know, there's people that are managing their own personal finances for decades and decades. And so uh, I'm always open to looking at new techniques and strategies and, uh, and yeah, I do, uh, uh, try to give that to the client base and, and then try to implement it for myself as well. You know, whether that's, you know, real estate or, uh, you know, backdoor IRAs or, uh, whatever the different strategy or technique is. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you represented Guam in the Olympics. What's that about? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, it, it feels like ages ago, but, uh, it was amazing to see sort of the world coming together in, in such a, uh, uh, a wonderful event. I, you know, I wasn't a professional runner. I was, you know, barely 18 at the time and I represented Guam and uh, it was a great honor for me. And I got to see how, you know, how the best in the world, you know, at those particular disciplines operate and how they prepare and how focused they were. And um, I think I also learned, you know, you have to be, you have to be smart about it too, right? So I think that, you know, for example, I would race every practice and I had injuries and I probably never ran faster than I was 18. So I think that, uh, you know, that can apply to the business world too, where you, you do need to, to you, need, you need rest and, and relaxation and, and, and to come back and, and to be smart about training and getting better. But uh, it was an amazing experience for sure. Got it, got it. So outside of finance, what kind of things do you, I guess, like occupy your time with when you're not like getting more certification designations and do these things, when you do these things, do you do it with like this purpose of like knowing that it's going to help you kind of grow and do a better job or is it just purely out of leisure? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of how I spend my time outside of work, I, uh, I travel a lot. I've been to 65 countries. I, uh, I do a little bit of yoga as well as Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I think each one of those uh, helps me in a, in a different way. I think that, that, you know, the travel really gives me perspective and exposes me to new cultures and people. And uh, I think that that informs, you know, just how I approach the world. And yeah, does it help when I look at international investing? For sure. But uh, that, that's a small piece of it. Uh, I think that, you know, yoga is great for sort of, you know, getting centered and relaxing and a sort of meditation and then i think that uh jujitsu is is one of those things where when you're doing it it's uh you have to be so present and i think that that's a lesson i have you know we can all take into different 
aspects of our life. You know, I think with you know cell phones and devices everywhere, sometimes we, uh, I know I am not as, as, as fully present as, a, as I want to be sometimes. So I think that, uh, you know, that helps me with that. And then, so bringing it back to finance, you said that you ask, uh, you'll ask some of your older clients what some of their regrets are so that it helps you better inform the younger ones. What are some of like, I guess, the like top regrets that you might hear from older individuals? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it has to do with the spending, right? So they, they, uh, they regret not saving sooner. They regret spending so much. Um, they, uh, you know, I think in terms of perspective, a lot of the older clients, um, they wonder why they cared so much what people thought about them when they were younger, right? Uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, as well, I think, um, yeah, so those are sort of the, the things that come, come up often. And as well, I think many of them sort of uh, regret maybe like, you know, not working out as much earlier, right? Yeah, I think some people, uh, so in terms of, you know, taking care of the body and the mind, as well as uh, 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 saving earlier, that's, those are sort of the main ones. And then uh, earlier on in the show, you said that money is a very emotional, taboo topic, something that like, you know, people don't really talk about. I'm pretty sure like it, the saying is like people talk, people are more willing to talk about their sex lives and their money lives. Yeah. Um, what do you think something like, do you see a shift in this happening? Do you see that the conversation kind of opening up more with like more personal finance platforms and like finance becoming a more, I guess, prevalent topic? Or like, do you still think it's still like a, you still think it's in that taboo stage where people just don't really. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the trend is, uh, is going in a positive way. And so I, I know that more people, I, I'm encountering more people that are aware that financial planning is, uh, is such a benefit, right? And so I think that these platforms, you know, whether it's uh, Betterment or Wealthfront that make investing uh, a little less intimidating and you can invest at small amounts and you can get started right away. These are all steps in the right uh, direction. And I think that, uh, so yeah, I definitely, you know, the fire movement is, you know, the fact that it's trendy to not spend money. Uh, and I, you know, you know, whether you agree or disagree with, you know, some of the principles, I think overall, that's, that's a, that's an amazing development that, that people are saying, Hey, you know what, like, let's, let's make it trendy to not spend and to, to make progress on our lives and to, to enjoy our lives and, and retire sooner. So I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of that is helpful. And, um, you know, the public gets a lot of their sort of financial advice from many of the financial influencers and, you know, whether that's the Susie Ormans or you know, Mr. Money Mustache or, and, uh, you know, I think that's just how it's going to be. I think you, you know, these people have done a, a great job of making it, uh, some of these strategies and techniques relatable. And so, um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different advice. And I think so people should kind of develop what's best for themselves. And because I think, you know, many times, this sort of one size fits all advice uh, isn't really appropriate. So. Okay, that's good, good. Um, you brought up something interesting, you know, you brought up like, you know, apps like Wealthfront, Acorns, Betterment. 
how do you feel uh, about AI as far as, I guess, like for your career as a financial planner, do you think the AI is kind of taking over? Do you feel threatened at all? Or do you think that it's going to kind of remain something for like the more entry level investor? And as they kind of accumulate more, they'll end up going on to somebody who's more like personal hands on like you. Sure. I think that, um, you know, as, as we've gotten these tools, uh, I think it's so far, everything has sort of advanced the profession, right? I think that, um, you know, is there someday the possibility that, you know, the AI could do exactly what I do and, and, and better when it comes to sort of, you know, I think, uh, you know, when a lot of the knowledge is out there already, right? So people can Google, you know, the vast majority of what I know and eventually find it. But I think, uh, you know, whether it's an attorney, a doctor or a financial advisor, you know, people do need that wisdom. And uh, I think that, you know, people need, um, and, you know, whether the people will be able to accurately, you know, recreate that with AI, uh, you know, that's not up to me, but I think that, um, you know, many of these tools have advanced, you know, people's understanding of finance and people's understanding uh, uh, or, advance, you know, people achieving their goals. And so uh, a lot of it's been great. And so, um, but yeah, what the future holds for the profession, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for the, you know, 80 to 85 families that I work with, they, uh, you know, they rely on me, uh, you know, not just to, to invest their money, but also to, you know, to, to kind of be their thinking partner uh, during these sort of very critical junctures uh, in their lives. So I think that uh, um, that'd be tough to replicate, but you know, I guess it's possible. Got it, got it. Couple more questions. I think I got like three more for you. Sure. So looking at the blog, Planning to Wealth, you know, I see a lot of different topics. There's a lot of, you know, interesting stuff over here. How do you go about deciding what kind of topics to post? Is it something that you see, like if a lot of people are coming to you and asking questions about like this or that, or is it just random or how? Does yeah, that- it's pretty spot on. Yeah. So I think when uh, I just take notes, when people ask me questions and when it happens several times, like, oh, okay, well, let me take a step back and say, okay, you know, what are my um, in-depth thoughts on this? And so, yeah, that's how, that's the article process. And then, you know, sometimes I'll write about something and a year will go by and I'll actually update the article just because, um, you know, I might have more to say on it or, uh, you know, it was, I took a, you know, a very brief review of that topic, uh, the first shot. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the, the articles are because uh, the questions just kept happening over and over and over again. So. It's funny that you say that because I actually did an episode like earlier on this year where I was talking about ETFs and I was like, I kind of glossed over it. Like I was like, I don't really use ETFs. So like I like talked about it like very, very briefly, but I was like, it doesn't really matter because it's not part of my portfolio. And as of, as the year has gone on, like I now literally have like my whole IRA is literally com- like comprised of just different ETFs. So yeah, it's funny that like, you know, even we always, like, we're always learning, evolving and growing. And for anybody who just skipped all the way down to the end of the show, what would be three key tips that you would give on fi- like on financial advice? Just general financial advice, three tips and tricks Ooh. that you would want to leave the audience with. All right. Well, so when it comes to savings, make it automatic, right? Just have it go right out of your paycheck into whatever vehicle you have. Um, when it comes to investing, you know, 
keep expenses low and stay diversified. I think that's that those are the sort the two best things there. And then, you know, lastly, take advantage of every possible uh, tax break that the government gives you, whether that's health savings accounts, Roth IRAs, IRAs, you know, a lot of tax breaks through real estate, and just investigate them all and see what's best for you and, and, and go for it. All right. And where can we find you, David? Yeah, so uh, at the blog, um, people can uh, you know, contact me through there, set up an appointment to, to chat. Uh, it's planningtowealth.com, and hopefully you know, the content there is helpful and, and, uh, uh, for people's situations. For sure. And the link to that will be inside the show notes. So if anybody didn't catch that, go ahead and hit the link. It'll be right there in the bio. Thank you so much for coming on, David. I really appreciate all the advice and wisdom you've shared with me. Uh, really interesting stuff. And it's really cool to see that people in financial services are so multifaceted. They're not just people in suits, you know, they, <laughs> they're in the Olympics. They do jujitsu. They do all kinds of cool stuff. So really cool. Thank you for coming on. And yeah. And as always, for you guys, the fundraiser is still going on. So do make sure to hit that link inside the bio. There's a bunch of information on that. And if not, just make sure you listen to the ads. And that's how you'll be contributing. My name is Paris Grant. This is David Flores. And this is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. And here we don't keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paris. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope that this episode was able to give you a lot of value and make sure that you subscribe, leave ratings, reviews, so that when I have new guests on the show that you know about it. Um, I'm going to be doing probably a follow-up episode on this. I'm not sure. I've linked up all of David's information inside the bio. So if you want to go and click on Planning to Wealth and check through what he has to say, I definitely implore you to do so. It's a great resource and he has a lot of great things in there. And because he's, a more, I guess, more professional, it's a lot more clean and polished. So I'm really a fan of it. I look at it myself. So definitely go check that out. But yeah, that's all I got for today's Monday episode. I hope it was informative. I was hope, hope it helped you to feel more empowered with your financial life. And that's it. Make sure that you subscribe, leave ratings, reviews, tell your friends, all that good stuff. But most importantly, most importantly, I want you to remember two things. One, that my name is Paris Pierre Grant. Two, this is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. And three, we don't keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. Thank you guys. Have a good week. <laughs>